Well, that's good stuff, man. If that don't ring your bell, you need a new clapper is what I, that's all I know. So, awesome. Thank you so much, Jonathan and the team, for uh, uh, bringing us to the throne. Go ahead and grab your Bibles, if you will. Turn with me to the book of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, uh, chapter 9. We're going to be uh, working through part of that text here in just a minute. Uh, man, happy Resurrection Day. I hope, uh, I hope you're as excited as I am uh, that my Lord is alive and well. And he's seated at the right hand of the Father, and we're going to read a text in a little bit that tells us that uh, one day he's going to step out of heaven and tiptoe his way down through the stars. And for those who are eagerly waiting, he's going to bring salvation. But we'll get to that. Let's. Um, uh, I, I couldn't help but think this week, I mean, Passover is such a an emotional week. There's so many things going, and... Uh, at least when you study the scriptures, and I can only imagine for, for those disciples, well, what a roller coaster week. So, so much Jesus poured into their life, so much teaching. They would go into the Jerusalem by day and they'd go out by night and they saw him curse a fig tree and they were just amazed again at his power and, and all those things. Then Thursday night, the, the, the just tragedy of the, of the betrayal. And then Friday was, uh, obviously the crucifixion. And it was the most horrific thing that any of them had ever seen. And, and so the, they were in the depths of despair. But, but, but then by, by Sunday morning, man, uh, they went from horror to hallelujah. I mean, what a, what, so what an amazing roller, roller coaster. What, what a ride, uh, that must have been. Uh, Friday's horror and Sunday's hallelujah. Uh, but what I thought about this week, has, have you ever wondered what happened between the crucifixion on Friday night and the resurrection on Sunday morning. And somehow another Monday, I got this idea. I got to thinking about it, and I thought, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to figure this thing out. Or I thought I was going to figure it out. So I spent a lot of Monday and, and part of day Tuesday pondering it. Uh, I actually, right here in my notes, I actually called a preacher friend of mine, one of my better, best friends from seminary. Uh, and we had about a 30-minute conversation. He's in Alabama. In fact, I got two of his church members here today. I never met them. They're back here. And so the irony of that, me and, me and Steve had a conversation trying to figure this thing out and, and to talk about it. And I really don't know, but here's what I thought about. What if, what if I gave you a, a test this morning? I gave you one essay question, and I said, in 300 words or less, tell me what happened between the crucifixion on Friday and the resurrection on Sunday morning. That would be fun for me. I don't know how much fun it would be uh, for you. But but it merits some thought. And so I kind of thought about that and, and kind of looked in the Scriptures. And I, I, I didn't find everything I was looking for. But I did find 1 Peter chapter 3. And if, if you got your Bibles, just turn over there real quickly. I, wanted, I want us to look at a couple verses. I want to share a couple thoughts and then we'll we'll kind of move on. But listen to what Peter wrote. Uh, verse 18, chapter 3, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Now watch this, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison. Now that's an interesting text. I believe there's at least two things that we can say this happened from the moment Jesus died. To the moment he was resurrected. I believe both these things happened. Now, some scholars might suggest that he didn't go preaching the, to the spirits uh, during that time. I don't know, but, but 
For our purpose today, I'm going to give you two reasons. Number one, the first thing Jesus did in the interim is he, he, he brought us to God. Uh, Peter calls it bringing us to God. But the scripture tells us that he made a way into, in, into God's presence. In other words, in that, in that time frame, Jesus gave us access. That's why the Bible says in Matthew 27, verse, verse 51, it says, when Jesus said it is finished, he bowed his head, he gave up the ghost. And at that moment, the veil in the temple which separated the most holy place where only the high priest could go into the presence of God one day a year. That veil was torn in two, and the scripture says, from the top to the bottom, symbolizing that when Jesus was crucified and when he died, God ripped the veil away so that you and me can have access into the presence of God. So Peter brought us to God, or so Jesus brought us to God. Second thing Peter tells us is that, that he, he declared victory over the enemy. Now if you look at that verse, you might be tempted to think when Jesus went to proclaim to the spirits in prison, you, you might be tempted to think, well, he went to preach the gospel to unbelievers that were dead. That would be wrong. Let me tell you why that's wrong. Because the scripture says, as we're going to read in a moment, it's appointed unto man once to die. And after that comes the judgment. But another reason we know that's not true, the word, if Jesus went to preach good news to unbelievers, there's a different word in the original language he, he would use, which is euangelizo, which means to preach good news. But rather, he uses a term here, I think it's caruso in the original, but it, it was the term for a herald. Now, in that day, a herald was someone who, they were a shouter, and whatever a king or a general or a ruler went out into battle, whenever they won the victory, they would hire this herald. And when they, before they came into town, this guy's job would be to come into town and to declare and to yell out, victory, victory, victory. And that, that would be his job. And one of the things that Jesus did is he went to the to the demons that are in prison. You can read about those in, in Peter and also in Jude. And he declared to them, I have triumphed over death and I have triumphed over sin. Now we know those two things happened. He, he brought us access to God and he declared triumph over his enemies. Now what else did he do? I don't know. I just thought it was really interesting to study and to look that up. I think that's an intriguing question. But you know what else I believe? I, I believe that is not the most important question. I believe the most important question for you and for me, for all of us, is not what did Jesus do when he died, but why did Jesus have to die? Why did Jesus have to die? I mean, why, why does somebody have to shed their blood to pay for sin? Why did he have to die? I mean, God is God. Couldn't he just change the rules? I mean, if he's sovereign, why couldn't he just say, hey, you messed up, you messed up, y'all messed up, everybody's messed up, I'm going to let it go. Why couldn't God do that? Why couldn't God just say, let it go? Well, the writer of Hebrews gives us three reasons why Jesus had to die. So I want you to look with me there in our text. We're going to cover the whole thing, and we're, we're not going to talk about every verse, but I want to read the whole text so you'll get the sense of what the writer had to say. Remember in Hebrews, he's talking to, to Jewish, uh, believe, mostly Jewish believers who had come 
out of Judaism. Uh, some of them were debating going back, and he said, you don't want to do that. I mean, when you got Jesus, you got the best. And here's what he says, verse 15. Therefore, speaking of Jesus, therefore he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. For where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people... He took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people saying, this is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way, he sprinkled the blood, both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, important verse, indeed under the law, almost everything is purified with blood and without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness Thus, it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered not only into the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood, not his own. For when he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world... But as it is, key, key verses here, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And here's our verse. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Shall we pray together? Father, in these next couple of minutes, Lord, I pray that you'd stir our hearts and you'd open our hearts and that we might see the truth of the gospel. God, that we might see clearly why Jesus had to die for us. And so, God, I I pray, Lord, I know in the auditorium, in a group this size, there there are those who are followers of Christ and sold out to Jesus, and and there are those who are contemplating Christ, and and perhaps some even here this morning, they're they're here because it's Easter and it's a family day and some friends invited them, and they're just not sure about the Jesus thing. And what I've read, uh, talking about blood and sacrifice and death, has just maybe even added, and they're going, I'm not sure about this. And God, my prayer is that as we drill down into this text, they will realize that Jesus had to die. And not only did he have to die, but he died so they could be forgiven and be free. So God, speak into our life. Give us truth. Give us understanding. And may you get the glory, Lord Jesus, for it's in your name that I pray. Amen. Well, let me come back to that question, why did Jesus have to die? Many people struggle to understand why an all-powerful, sovereign, gracious God cannot just... I mean, God, it's listen, it's His universe. Why can't He just say, this is my universe, I'm going to let it go? Why can't He 
do that. And one of the things I learned this week, and I kind of knew this, but someone put it in a nice and I kind of rewrote it. But think of it this way. Unless God's justice is satisfied, grace and mercy cannot be bestowed. Unless God's justice is satisfied, grace and mercy or forgiveness cannot be bestowed. That's just a truth. Now, here's the thing that you, that, that's hard for us. God is loving. God is gracious. And God is merciful. But at the same time, and in the equal proportions, God is holy, and He's righteous, and He is just. And here's the thing. The, uh, let me see, I want to make sure I say this right. One attribute of God's character does not work out of symmetry with the other attributes of his character. In other words, God's grace is connected to his justice. And his justice demands that sin must be paid for. The Bible says in Proverbs, the soul that sins shall die. That's just a principle. And so uh, because that's true... God's justice has to be satisfied. Rather than require you and me to pay, God chose to send Jesus to make the payment. Think about this. God's justice demands payment for our sin. God's mercy in the Old Testament delayed the payment for sin. That's what those offerings were about. But God's grace in Jesus made the payment. For our sin. So there's three reasons in our text. Why did, why did Jesus have to make a payment? Let me give you those. We'll, we'll do it quickly. If you take notes, let me give you the first one. The first reason is a will demands a death. Look in your Bibles there at verse 15. It says, therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant. Now, when you see the word covenant here, it's interesting. It could also be uh, translated testament or also translated will. If you look down to verse 16 and verse 17, you see the word, a wi- the word will. Will, testament, covenant, same idea. And so the idea is that, that a will demands a death. Now, what he says there is that Jesus is the mediator, the middleman, the bridge builder between God. So he mediates this new covenant. Now watch this. So that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. The interesting phrase, promised eternal inheritance. Uh, Number one, it's a promise. Number two, it's forever. And number three, it is a inheritance. And you might be thinking, what, what exactly is that? That is in totality salvation, total salvation and forgiveness and access to God. What couldn't be provided for in the old covenant, Jesus came to provide for in the new. Now, you say, okay, Mike, I'm confused. What that's talking about is ultimate Salvation. Now, some of you pray, play, any, ultimate frisbee? Okay, anybody, ultimate frisbee? Okay, some of you play, why, why do they call it ultimate frisbee? Because it's ultimate, right? Well, what we're talking about here is ultimate salvation. Let me tell you what that is. That is total forgiveness. What that means is, what Jesus offers is total forgiveness. That means every sin that you've committed, that I've committed, everything that stirs guilt in, in our life, you know the stuff, 
that we, you, you, you've got some in back there and I've got some back there and, and, and there's guilt affiliated with it. And, and you, you know the stuff that, that, uh, that stirs up shame. We remember back and we're tempted to, to, we don't, we wouldn't want anybody to know. But what the when Jesus promises an eternal inheritance, what he's talking about is total forgiveness of everything. Wiping the slate clean. Ultimate salvation. Ultimate forgiveness. Now that's what the writer is talking about. And what he calls it is an inheritance. Now, anybody in here expecting to get an inheritance? Now, if your parents are in the room or grandparents, probably shouldn't raise your hand, okay? Anybody want to say, are you kind of expecting maybe to get an inheritance? Anybody? Man, we better not have a building program because <laughs> nobody's getting it. Today. Uh, but I had, a, I had a friend when I was in Georgia. I met him when I got there. I was probably third. I'd never pastored. This guy was 82 years old. Uh, I met him actually when I went to look at the church forever, became pastor. He took me under his wing. Man, I was a, I was a green young preacher. I didn't know much. I don't know a whole lot more now, but I, I knew less then. And he took me under his wing. And he kind of showed me the ropes and, and helped me assimilate into the church. And, and uh, great man, just didn't have any kids, uh, consequently didn't have any grandkids. In fact, he was, it was the first wedding I performed at this church was this man who was 80, I think he was 83 or 84 when he got married. And so great visionary, right? And, uh, but, but he was a great man and he took me under his wing. And, and after a couple of years, he, he would say, Mike, you belong to me. You're, you, you're just, you belong to me. And after a few years, he said, you're going to be in my will. And, you know, I mean, what do you say? You, you just, thank you. Or, or, you know, I didn't really know what to say. Well, well, guess what? He passed away 12 years after I got there. And, and you know what I did? I inherited. I mean, he was good to his word. But, 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 you know, for me to inherit that, you know what had to happen? What has to happen for you to inherit Somebody's got to die, right? I mean, if somebody, the person that makes the will, look, look what verse 16 says. Verse 16 tells us, for where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death, since it's not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. And, and so Jesus made, Jesus has promised a covenant with us. He made a testament, a will to us, and there's an inheritance for us, but you can't get it. I can't get it. We can't get that. Until somebody dies. Who's got to die? The person that made the will. And so the first reason Jesus had to die was so you and me could inherit the promised eternal salvation. So that's the first reason. Second reason, look down in your Bibles. We're going to skip a bunch of verses. Go all the way to verse 22. It says, indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Here's the second reason. Second reason. Jesus had to die, not only because the will demands a death, but forgiveness demands blood. I used to struggle with this verse, and it's the first part I used to struggle with, because it says almost all things are purged, or almost all things are cleansed with blood. And I, and I struggled with that because I thought, well, you know, it says without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. And, and then I learned something. In the Old Testament system, some things could be cleansed with water. Like if someone was ceremonially unclean for a day or for a week, they would go and wash in water 
and they would be declared clean. And so he says almost all things are purged with blood. Not everything, because some things can be cleansed with water. And then he says, but, but without the shedding of blood, there will be no forgiveness. And, and so the idea is that sin demands punishment. R- remember, God's justice has to be satisfied before his mercy and grace can be bestowed. That's just a rule. That's God's universe. He set it up that way. You, you may have a better idea. I may have a better, somebody may have a better idea, but we don't have a universe. It's God's universe. That's the way he decided that it worked. The soul that sins must die. And so, and, and so God in his, in his justice, uh, really demands, uh, that that happen. Interesting story. I was listening to a, a guy preach on this passage this week named Tom Nelson. And, and he told a story about, about, uh, Brutus, uh, way back in, in ancient Roman history, uh, roughly 500 years, uh, before Christ. Uh, there was some stuff went on. There was somebody named Tarquin that ruled Rome and his son got into some problems. Uh, like he raped a woman or whatever. But because of that, they kicked the king out or they kicked the ruler out. And uh, he really wanted to come back to the throne. When they kicked him out, they identified two consuls to rule. Uh, and they had some guys under them. One of them was named Brutus. One of them was, uh, I think, Kala. I can't pronounce the guy's name, but just trust me. It, uh, there were two of them, Brutus and this other guy. Well, well, Tarquin decided that he wanted all his stuff from the palace. And so he, he wanted to come back, even though he'd been exiled. And so when he came back, he, he gathered some of the young people because what he really wanted is to usurp the throne and he wanted to be in control again. And so they planned a rebellion and... And they were doing well until a slave overheard it. And the slave heard of the rebellion. So he went to Brutus and the other consul and said, here's what's going to happen. And so they, they set the slave free. And then they went and rounded up all these young hooligans and the king. And, and when, they, when they began to look, what they discovered is that in this group of young people were Titus and Tiberius, Brutus's two sons, whom he loved dearly. But So he was in this dilemma. Am I going to be just? And I'm, am I going to be righteous? Or, or am I going to say no to justice and say no to the law and set my boys free? And as the story goes, his sons, along with the others, they were flogged and they were beheaded in his presence. And at that moment, at that moment, Brutus ceased to be a father so, so he could be a righteous judge. On Good Friday, many years ago, the God of heaven would not set aside justice. And so he ceased to be a father and became a judge. And he poured out his wrath on his own son to pay for our sins. Why? Because forgiveness demands Blood. Forgiveness demands death. We see, I mean, that's all through, we see that all through the scriptures. I mean, that starts in, in, uh, in Genesis. Remember Adam and Eve? Remember when they ate the fruit? Well, what is the first thing they did as soon as they ate the fruit and realized they were guilty? What was the first thing they did? They went and covered up, right? They got religious and said, we're going we're gonna to go get us some leaves. We're going to cover up and, and, and we're, gonna, we're just going to hide out from God. But here's the thing. God was not pleased with that. And so you know what God did? 
God slew an animal and he covered them with animal skins. The picture is forgiveness demands a death. We go over to the Passover. Forgiveness demands a death. We go to the Day of Atonement, which we, we've talked a good bit about in the last a few sermons, so we won't go there today. They gave a, they gave a sacrifice to put off sins for a year. That's what the Day of Atonement did. They would bring a lamb. They would bring a bull. They would bring a goat. They would offer that as a sacrifice. And what that would do, that wouldn't put away their sin. It would put their sins off. It would put the payment off for their sins for like a year. And then we come to Calvary. We come to Good Friday. And in order for God to provide forgiveness, it required a death. And so Jesus died. He had to die. Because forgiveness has to have blood, has to have death to pay. One other reason, this is really significant. I guess they all are, but look down in your Bibles there. Let's go to the middle of verse 26. Again, we're going to skip over some stuff, but let's go to verse 26. Middle of the verse, he says, but as it is, he has appeared once for all, he being Jesus, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. Here's the third reason Jesus had to die. Judgment demands a sacrifice. Or as, as John MacArthur says it, judgment demands a substitute. In other words, when it comes to our sin, when it comes to my sin, when it comes to your sin, somebody's got to pay. Either we can pay or we can accept Jesus' death as a substitute. Notice what it says there at the end of verse 26. It says he, he appeared at the end of the ages, really the consummation of the ages. When, when In God's final plan, Jesus died on the cross to, not to put off sin, but to put away sin. To put away sin. Now, and then in verse 28, he talks about how he came to bear the sin, to be a substitute for sin. But to me, that's not the key issue. You know what the key issue is? Look at verse 27. The key issue is, for disappointed unto man once to die. Once to die. I read a story this week about uh, a guy somewhere up north. He was having some health issues. And uh, so he went to Arizona trying to find the right place to move. And so he gets down there, and he wants to know kind of about the climate. And so he asked him, says, well, you know, what's the average temperature? And, of course, they told him. And he said, well, well, well what's the average humidity? And they told him. And he said, well, well, how many days a year does the sun shine? And they told him. And he says, well, well, what's the death rate? And they said, just like it is where you come from, there's one death for every birth. One out of one people die." You know that, right? If Jesus tarries, every one of us is going to die. And the scripture says, after that comes judgment. I mean, it's, uh, I, I, another thing I read this week I thought was interesting. It was, it says, you know, the friendly undertaker in this particular community, he signed all his correspondence, eventually yours. Eventually 
yours. How would you like to get a letter? You, you go down and you make arrangements uh, for, for yourself or your family, maybe for your parents, and you get this letter, eventually yours, signed Johnny. Can I just tell you, eventually, eventually you and I are going to die and we're going to stand before the God of the universe. And either we're going to stand on our own or we're going to stand there with Jesus as our substitute. Because judgment demands a sacrifice. Judgment demands a substitute. Let me just, I wish I had time to unpack this. Let me just say two things about judgment. I know that's really not what we want to hear about on Easter, but, but, but I need to tell you, in the Scripture, in the Bible, since all of us are going to die, the Bible says after that comes judgment. And the Bible says there's two different judgments. One is for the believer. The follower of Jesus is going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Second Corinthians 5, 8 through 10 tells us uh, that, that, we're, that we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and then we will give an account of ourselves to God. Now let me tell you what that's going to be like, not what it's going to be like, but let me tell you what that means. As a believer, if you're a genuine follower of Christ, you're not going to be judged for your sin, but we are going to be audited regarding our lives. And so what that means is that every thought, every word, and every action, God's going to evaluate that. And He's going to audit your life. He's going to audit my life. And He's going to reward us accordingly or He's going to take away rewards accordingly. And so as a believer, your life's going to be audited. By Jesus. That's all that's my word, but you get the picture. But there's another judgment. You just write in your margin, Revelation 20, verses 11 through 15. That's called the great white throne judgment. We're not going to go there. We're not going to say a lot about it. But, but under, that's for, the, for those that reject Jesus, they're going to be at the great white throne. And that's really not a judgment either. That's going to be a sentencing. Because, because at the end of that text, verse 15, it says, whoever's name is not written in the Lamb's book of life, will be cast into the lake of fire. So two judgments. Either you're going to stand before Christ and have your life audited and be rewarded and spend eternity with God in heaven, or you're going to reject Christ or say no to Jesus and say thanks but no thanks, and then you're going to stand before God one day and He's going to say, if your name's not in the book, if you rejected my Jesus, you're going to be cast into the lake of fire. Now, so, because that's true, Jesus came to die. He came to put away sin. He came to bear the sins of many. Now, so at the end of the day, Jesus came to die, but he didn't just come to die. Jesus came to die for you. And Jesus came to die for me. We're part of the many if we choose to be. And so that kind of brings us to two questions that, that I need to ask. And I probably should switch, swap the order, but let me just, let me just ask it this way and then I want to tell you a quick story and we'll be done. The, the, let, let me get, let me swap them around. First of all, I want to say to a believer, because look at the end of verse 28, it says, says Jesus will appear a second time. By the way, that's how the resurrection fits in. Jesus was raised from the dead. He ascended to heaven according to Acts chapter 1. He's seated at the right hand. So he's resurrected. He's waiting. And it says that He's going to appear in the future. He's going to appear a second time apart from sin uh, unto salvation. But look at that. To those who eagerly wait for him. And so I want to talk to believers for a minute. And I want to ask you this question. If you're a follower of Jesus, are you eagerly, are you eagerly waiting 
for Him? Are you eagerly expecting Him? Because I think so often, too often what happens is we're living our life and we're doing our thing and, and there's some things that we, we, we probably would change and we probably want to change, but we probably haven't changed. And so I want to I drill down and just ask you this question. If, G, if Jesus were to come tonight, are you satisfied? Believers, are you satisfied with how you have lived your life. If, if, if he were to come tonight, can you honestly say, man, I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely satisfied with the way I've lived my life. And if your answer is yes, hallelujah. If it's no, what should you do differently? What priorities should change since, since you know Jesus is going to come? Because I know for many of us, there's just some things. I mean, the way we spend our time, the, the way we focus our attention, for some of us, the way we spend our money. So as a believer, are, are you waiting? Are you ready? Are you expecting? Because here's what I know. For a lot of us, we're like, man, I want to go to heaven, but we're like Joe Diffie. We, we don't want to go tonight, right? The old country song, you know, Lord, I want to go to heaven. I don't want to go tonight. Well, why do we not want to go tonight? Because we know there's some things we need to get in order. You ought to get them in order today because he could come tonight. But the second question I have, some of you here, a number of you here, you, you know about Jesus and some of you maybe not a lot and you say, I don't, I'm not sure about this Jesus thing. But the question I would say to you is, is are you prepared for him to come? In other words, are, you know, if Jesus were to come, have you been born again? Are you a follower of Christ? That's so critical because you got to decide, listen, Jesus died. You can go to heaven for free, but you got to choose that. Let me tell you a quick story. This is, this, is, this is probably the most interesting thing that's ever happened to me when it comes to, uh, to, to talking about Jesus. Tuesday, after our staff meeting, I'm headed home uh, up Ranch Road 12. I get, about, I get a couple miles up, and there's a guy backpacking. He's got his backpack on. He's got a staff, and he's going up the road. And... You know, and a lot of times I'll think about this and I thought, you know, it's Easter week and I don't know what I thought, but I thought, does God want me to give him a ride? And as soon as I had that thought, I, I, I just was like, I wish I wouldn't have had that thought because it just got right here in my gut and I thought, I, I got to give this guy a ride. And then I remembered that I had a, a disciple group meeting the next morning and I need to set up the time. So I called my disciple. I thought, well, I got to, I got to make this phone call. And I just thought, I'll make this phone call. And when I get off the phone, I will have forgotten about this guy. And so I make the call and I try to ignore it. And, but after I hung up, I realized the book I needed for the group that was meeting in Dripping Springs Wednesday morning was in my office in Wimberley. So I had to turn around and go back when I got the phone. So when I turn around, I come back and here's this guy walking up the road. And in my heart, I'm thinking, surely God, you don't, you know, there's a lot of stuff. Can I, you know, I, all this stuff's going through your mind. So I come on down, uh, get my book and I'm headed back up the road. And I just said, Lord, you know, if, if, you, if you want me to pick him up and talk to him, I'll pick him up and talk to him. But if, if, if he's gone, I'll know you didn't, didn't want that. So, so, I drive, so I head back up. And I, don't remember, I think it was at Lone Man Mountain. But when I got up there, there was a perfect place to pull off the road. And this guy's on the other side of the road. And so I spooled down my window and said, hey, man, where are you going? And he said, Dripping Springs. And I said, well, come on, and I'll give you a ride. And so he gets in, and he 
kind of tells me a story, and he's been on the road and been in Wimberley for a couple months. And so I thought, well, my time's getting short. I need to ask him. I said, well, man, what, what you know, and all this stuff that you're doing, trying to figure out what you're doing. I said, what do you do for the spiritual side of life? And, and he begins to tell me that, you know, his grandfather was a pastor and his dad kind of walked away from the faith. And he said, but while I was in Wimberley, my granddad mailed me a New Testament. A New Living Translation. He said, so I, so I read the book of Romans. And he said, then I read the Gospel of John. And so we talked on for a minute. And, and uh, so we, you know, it's, uh, my time's running out. We're about to get to dripping. And so I, I just finally asked him, uh, I said, I said uh, you know, man, if you, were, if you were to die today, uh, do you believe you'd have eternal life and you'd go to heaven? And he said, Man, I don't know. He said, you know, the interesting thing. He said, last night. He said, I don't know if you noticed it. He said, but last night I looked at the moon. And, and near the moon, it must have been another planet. But you could see this little kind of red speck. And he said, I thought, if that was Jesus coming, I'm not prepared. I don't think I'm ready. And, I, and so I'm just thinking, you know, and so he, we share a little bit more. And I said, I said, man... I think maybe God's after you. I said, I think this is a divine appointment. I said, think about this. You read the book of Romans. That's the greatest presentation of the gospel in the Bible. And I just went through the verses, man. I went through Romans 3.23 for all of sin. And then I went to God demonstrated his love for us and for the ways of sin is death. But I mean, I just went all the way through and, you know, and I, and I get all the way down there. And I said, and besides that, I said, you read the gospel of John. And, and John said in, in 20, 30 and 31, he said, I could have written down a lot of stuff, but I wrote this down so that you might believe what? That Jesus is the Christ. And that by believing Jesus is the Christ, you might have life in his name. I said, man, God, listen, God's got a appointment for you. I said, the fact that you read all that and then a preacher stops and picks you up. And then he said this, he said, you know, about a minute or two before you stopped, I was praying and I said, God, I really, God, I really need some direction. And I said, man, God wants you to be saved. Clearly he wants you to be saved. And and, and with tears in his eyes, and, you know, it was just a, he said, I said, does what we talk about make sense? He says, yeah. I said, would you like to give your life to Jesus right here, right now? He said, absolutely. So sitting in the parking lot of HEB, kind of out there between the Whataburg and HEB, this old boy had a divine appointment with Jesus, and he gave his life to Christ. And he's, he's never going to be the same. Now, <laughs> praise the Lord. It's awesome. Now, here's my question. Some of you, you've come and sat in here today and you've heard this gospel and you've not decided what you're going to do with Jesus. And Maybe you've been religious and maybe not and maybe you're Baptist or maybe you're something else or maybe you're not anything. But what you've done today is you've heard that Jesus died. He died because a will demands a death. He died so you could inherit. He died because without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. He died because judgment demands that somebody take your place or you have to pay yourself. And so what you've got to decide today, is this your divine appointment? Because what God has shared with you, what God has spoken to you today, is that Jesus Christ hung on a cross and endured pain and suffering and death so you could be free. You're never going to get a better deal than that. And so you've got to decide today, are you going to accept that by faith?
Or are you going to get up and walk away and say, thanks God, but, but no thanks. Or, or thanks God, maybe later. And so what you've got to decide today is what are you going to do with Jesus? Let's bow. Uh, every head bowed, eye closed, no, nobody moving around. Just give me a couple minutes. Let me, let me just be very candid and very personal. Like I shared with that young man on, on Tuesday, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. And, and Romans 10 says that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Some of you here today, you've never been saved. You've never surrendered to Jesus. You've never said, Lord Jesus, today I surrender. Would you be willing right now? I'm not asking you to become a Baptist. I'm not, I'm just, would you be willing right now to accept the free gift of eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ? If you say, yes, pastor, I, I'm willing to do that, then would you, would you say this to him? And you can say it in your own words or you can even repeat this after me. But would you be willing to say to him, Lord Jesus, I know that I've sinned and I know I've come short of your glory. Lord Jesus, today I turn away from my sin. I accept your death as the substitute for my life. Lord Jesus, I accept your blood And your death is forgiveness for my sins. Lord Jesus, today, I invite you to come live in my heart and to come and be my Lord and to come and be my Savior. Lord Jesus, come live in me. Give me a new life and give me a new start is my prayer. Friend, the Bible says that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved for For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. My hope is that today you'll give your life to Jesus. Father, I pray in the name of our Lord, and I pray in the name of my Savior, the one, the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world, the Scripture says. In the name of Jesus, I pray pray for every man, woman, and boy and girl here today. Lord, some of them are teetering on the brink of decision. Father, some of them are teetering on the brink of heaven or hell. And what they do with Jesus determines where. And God, my prayer is that this morning, today, right now, they would decide, yes, I will follow Jesus. And God, that's my hope. And God, that's my prayer. You'd have your way in every man's heart. That you'd have your way in every woman's heart. That you'd have your way in every young person's heart today. So that they can be saved. And so you can be glorified. So God, move is my prayer. And I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.